0: to a morning talk show. Um, Today I'm gonna bring you my conversation with Lucian Greaves. Um, Lucian is a co-founder and um, kind of head of an organization called the Satanic Temple and they had a documentary made out uh, made about them called Hail Satan. It has a question mark at the end and um, I watched that documentary during the time when I was considering starting a podcast. And it was one of the things that kind of crystallized in my mind that I I did want to start a podcast and that um, Lucian was actually someone I specifically wanted to interview. So um, I was thrilled to be able to get in touch with him and thrilled that he uh, agreed to let me interview him. Um, now, the Satanic Temple is like one of many reasons I wanted to do this interview was that, you know, being from an evangelical Christian background, um, the you know, the name Satan and and the concept um, has a lot of history for me and a lot of you know fear-based reactions. So I was really surprised in the documentary. That um, you know this whole kind of new um, this whole new angle on the character of Satan uh, came to light, and uh, I'm not a Satanist. I'm not directly promoting uh, Satanism or antagonizing Satanism. But what came became clear to me in the process of watching the documentary. Process of watching the documentary. Ha. Uh, in watching the documentary was that um, their commitment to religious pluralism in the United States was admirable, and that in some ways their existence makes sense and and I can certainly see why it, it appeals to people and why people are drawn to it. And there's a certain wisdom even in it. and Lucian kind of crystallizes it all. Um, in that he he has that kind of um, mischievous vibe about him, but he also has a deep love and care for not just people, but actually for the United States um, and for his country. It's a, it's it was oddly patriotic, um, and so yeah, he was just a compelling guy. Um, And I also kind of knew that if I could speak to Lucian and find wisdom and um, interesting ideas and and new thoughts being provoked, that it would would be almost like a proof of concept for this whole podcast. Um, One of the things about this interview uh, that didn't go as I had planned was I usually get my guests to kind of briefly describe themselves. And that was going to be the part where... um, we talked about who Lucian is and, and, and what the organization does, um, but it became clear early on that he he's kind of had, he's had enough of that and also just based on kind of the... I could just sense a reticence based on, understandably, uh, based on how people would generally approach him. So many people would, would approach him wanting him to justify himself. So I appreciated that he was reticent to do that or, or just just didn't have any interest in doing that. So we kind of jump into the conversation. So if you um, find this conversation interesting, um, I encourage you to watch the documentary for sure, either way. Um, Do a bit more research. Um, You can see that the Satanic Temple does a lot of things. They actually have religious practices that they engage in. Um, They're a humanist organization. They they don't believe in... They're non-theistic, so they don't believe in a literal being called Satan. And so you can kind of... Um, you can kind of get a, a sense of it. There's, there's plenty of internet content um, about that, so I encourage you to do that. Um, but that being said, um, I felt like it was a great conversation. I felt like um, we got in a groove, and, and Lucian um, kind of displayed a, an openness to just this being a real conversation and not being something where he was promoting anything or I was promoting anything. I identify myself as... Um, being from a Christian background, being involved in Christianity in s- to some degree still. Uh, so anyway, talking too much again. Like and subscribe to this video, uh, and and leave comments please, um, with your perspectives and uh, with things I may have missed. If you're from the Satanic Temple, please you know let me know what I've gotten wrong or misrepresented. If you're whatever, just just I want to I want to chat about uh, these things that we talk about. So. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Lucian Greaves. Okay, uh, so welcome to uh, the morning talk show, um, Lucian Greaves. I, I'm a fan of yours. I saw the the documentary, um, which a lot of people saw, Hail Satan. And oh yeah, uh, I
1: saw that
0: one. Yeah, you saw that one. It sounds familiar. Uh, I, I, I and like I said to you on Twitter, it's kind of one of those things like I, I was starting a podcast already and then seeing that documentary and seeing you as just this, uh, this figure in this kind of almost reluctant figure um, in the documentary. But with this passion, I was just like, um, it, it was one of the things, it, you were one of the people that inspired me to really want to do the podcast for real. So it's, it's a real honor to, to have you on. Well, thank you.
1: It's an honor to be here.
0: Thank you. Um, so, just for um, because the, the my podcast doesn't usually center around uh, uh, satanist topics, uh, can you describe briefly how you how you sort of describe yourself and, and the Satanic Temple to people?
1: I've stopped describing myself to the to people anymore. Uh, sure, <laughs> there's quite a, quite enough material. Um, You know, now there's a documentary, but uh, at the end of this month or the beginning of next month, the book comes out by, uh, published by Oxford University Press, written by a religion scholar, Joe Laycock, who was writing about us from our very inception, really.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: uh, that also gives a good kind of background overview of the beginnings and philosophy of the Satanic Temple. But uh, Mm -hmm. after like seven or eight years now, people arguing whether this should be viewed as a legitimate religion people questioning our authenticity people asking uh ad nauseum what we're about and everything yes it's it's a bit difficult to not uh suffer a bit of burnout but at least uh you know i I guess that's uh uh a natural pattern that that works out for the best because in the beginning that material isn't available at the time that it is you know you, you have the luxury of kind of uh of kind of indulging that that burnout after a while, but yeah, yeah. at this point, I pretty much uh, direct people to the to the materials, and we have a, a, a quite a wealth of information available online, mm-hmm. which again, of course, makes the uh, some of the ignorant questions
2: thrown at thrown at Twitter as though that's just a on um, use you know all day long every day.
1: Uh, that makes that kind of dynamic all the more infuriating.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can, and I can fully understand that. Like, uh, it, I, I appreciate one of the things I appreciated about, uh, about the, the way you were portrayed in the, in the documentary was, um, that kind of, um, I guess that kind of action based action oriented personality that you had, where um, you had no interest in i mean for correct me if I'm wrong, you had no interest in kind of uh, sort of selling anything on the strength of your charisma or on the strength of your of your personality like you had you had you seemed to have a mission um, that was primary um,
1: yeah, I certainly didn't think I had any uh any photogenic charisma in the traditional sense for sure i, I didn't think i was, uh you know even from my own point of view i didn't feel like i was a a marketable, marketable central person especially because i especially in the beginning i, I really had reservations about speaking in front of crowds the same as anybody yeah. else i guess i didn't think i would ever become acclimated to it but it was such a trial by fire you know when we first started doing what we were doing i don't think it people realize how much we were in the news a lot of people only heard of us from the documentary but right when i first started taking on that role i was doing interviews all the time yeah to be fair, a lot of them were local interviews wherever yeah. we were doing whatever we were doing but to me it's all one and the same you know it yeah. uh, and that's how you become acclimated and it's a i've always had a certain social awkwardness and a uh, and uh in a real discomfort being in crowds. And it's weird to see yeah. how uh, my mentality has changed over time. Now it's far more uncomfortable for me to be a, a part of the crowd where everybody's coming up asking, it's nice meeting people who this resonates for, but right. when it's a whole crowd of people, it can be, it can burn you out and be really oppressive. Yeah. But the fun part is, is like now in a crowded environment, I much prefer being on the stage than, uh, right. than anything else. So and uh, that's, I guess you can't help but the, have these situations you're in change you over time. And yeah. I've been very cognizant of that and tried to not make those changes uh, occur for the worse.
0: Right. So you have noticed a, a change. You, you've noticed a change in your, your ability to be in the spotlight since kind of you mean since the documentary or since just uh, becoming the spokesman of the church? Or the, well, since being the a,
1: a public person that people, yeah. you know, that people take my opinion seriously. Uh, you know, before I was as guilty as anybody of saying things I didn't need, uh, I didn't mean, you know, bombastic things for humor value or uh, now I feel like I don't even openly want to say if I think, uh a certain artist's music sucks or you know a movie I saw was bad or whatever because I'm amazed at who notices now. It was just uh, uh, an interview I did in Metal Hammer magazine where I was talking about bands I like and I didn't expect those bands to notice but I mentioned one of the bands that I like and uh, they were excited they noticed that I had said that now I'm working on a side music project with a couple guys from that band. Oh cool. Think. I'm really glad I didn't go off on some tirade about music I think sucks. Except for Justin Bieber, I did go off on a tirade about how I thought his stuff sucks, but I don't regret sure. that because I don't think there was ever a chance <laughs> to look at that and have his feelings hurt.
0: Yeah, no, he, he doesn't seem like, musically or personality-wise, he's in your uh, he, he's, he's anywhere close. And yeah, he's
1: also part of some uh, anti-gay megachurch scam. Oh, okay. Thing, so, Yeah.
0: Yeah, but if but if Bieber is listening to this podcast, um I hope he knows he can come to either one of us and repent uh and change his ways. No, anyway. Um Yeah,
1: if Bieber <laughs> listens, I would like him to know of course that I, I don't like to denigrate anybody's music and I like right. to, I don't like to put people down, but he can still go fuck himself cuz <laughs> fuck him stuff is
0: terrible. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, don't hold back. Don't hold back. No, um but I appreciate yeah, I appreciate what you're saying. Like, cause I, I'm also a, a musician and performer, and I'm I'm very much in the same boat of like not like feeling super weird in crowds, like feeling very strange, kind of panicky. Um, and then up on stage, there's this weird safety that you feel. Um, I mean. Well, I I was friends
1: with some guys who were doing uh, music professionally well before I was doing the Satanic Temple, and I would watch these guys go off on stage, and I was thinking, I wonder if I could ever be comfortable with that, you know, like, uh, just going out and perform because they were, you know, they've been at it for a long time, but I still felt it just seemed all too casual to them to just be able to walk out in front of an enthusiastic crowd and start playing like it was just another another day at the office or whatever. Yeah. And it was funny because I caught up with them after having done, you know, several public appearances and going on Fox or whatever. Yeah. And the front man of the band was just like, I don't think I could ever do what you do. That kind of, you know, debating environment, that kind of scrutiny. Right. So it made me realize that is completely different. And I did a couple of music shows in Philadelphia over a year ago. Uh, Me and some of the people I work with did some soundtracking for an old silent film, Haxon, and we performed the live soundtracking. Cool. And a couple of shows over there. And uh, I actually felt that that was a much more comfortable kind of environment than doing a lecture or certainly doing a debate. The debates by their nature are confrontational. But even when you do a lecture afterwards, everybody kind of comes up to you and takes it as an opportunity to elaborate different points you are talking about. And all that's fine, but just all at once in a whole crowd, it it can get to be a bit much.
2: No, absolutely.
1: Playing the music, you know, it was people coming up and saying, oh, love what you do, love what you did here. Um, Right. You know, get an autograph or whatever, and then they go. And I was thinking, this is is a lot better, you know. (laughs) And plus, you can have a few drinks while you're doing doing music performances, and I don't feel it necessarily. I think if you, 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 of course, if you go over the line, it's going to compromise, but having a few sure. will just loosen you up. And, uh,
0: yeah, we'll no, know. I know exactly. I know all about that. It's
1: a lot different than having to be on point with a Q&A, you know?
0: Yeah, well, and the difference, too, when you're doing some kind of musical performance is that the people who don't like it don't typically want to approach you uh, to refute Uh, the the notes you played like (laughs) you know fuck you man you played f minor you know like i don't know but yeah no it's it's uh, it, it what you do is so interesting and unique because um and i don't think i could do it either at this point in my life because you you really do inspire people to um i mean most people are not apathetic they're they're either they're motivated one way or the other by what you're doing. And so you must receive a lot of um, negativity. Even in the, even in the documentary you had to put on a bulletproof vest. um, And and at one point and that, and, and not, and like it was a legitimate use of a bulletproof vest. It wasn't like a, was that interpol band where the guy always wore a bulletproof vest as a to look cool like and and so that that popped into my mind when i told you there was safety on stage just a minute ago i was like oh i just said i just told a guy who's had to wear a bulletproof vest that there's safety i felt a little cheated that the documentary missed
1: the people who were actually loitering around the uh the rally area with guns there were people there with guns and wanted us to know that they were there
2: holy shit uh,
1: yeah yeah so there were people like sending off all kinds of signals just across the street from us it's open carry territory on the uh on the capitol grounds itself which was just like on the grass before the building or whatever
0: man you
1: you couldn't come armed but there were there were all kinds of people armed and it was actually uh uh, a vice cameraman who chased off a couple guys with guns just by going up to them with his camera and starting to ask them questions and then they all oh, right they took off so i felt like you know i felt like putting on the bulletproof vest really looked dramatic and i was like all right now if nobody like shows up with guns or anything this is going to look like yeah this is going to look like real you know drama like I'm i'm playing this up or whatever yeah so so I was almost, I was almost a, little, uh, a bit disappointed when, when uh, those characters were neither in the vice piece nor in the, uh, the documentary, but, but I assure yeah. you, the, the threat was real.
0: Oh, I, I'm from the southern U.S., and I've got family down there, and I, I guess there are maybe people up here in Canada where I live who might see something like that and, and just assume based on, on how f- seldom we see anybody packing heat that, uh, that that was just be, you being dramatic, but I, I immediately knew that based on where you were and what you were doing, that the threat was real.
1: Um, yeah, and now, now uh, you know, we're getting to the point with the Arkansas case, and I guess in case people don't know, what we're fighting is to have A satanic monument erected on the public grounds because they saw fit to put a privately donated Ten Commandments monument, and the government can't discriminate regarding viewpoints. Uh, Right, they can't show preference towards one religious point of view over another. So we feel it's really their obligation to also take a a private donation of of our satanic monument. Mm -hmm. They flat out said no. Uh, How they think they can, you know, make a case uh, for this is. Is really unclear even now as we uh, litigate. But now they want to bring me in for discovery, which is when they, uh, you know, I go into the offices and the lawyers ask me a bunch of questions, take my deposition. And it seems like their tactic is to maybe try to intimidate me out of this case because it Mm. looks like they're trying to cast this broad net and ask me a bunch of personal, private questions, identifying information.
2: Mm. To put
1: on public record because right. they know, I don't want to do that. So that's what we're kind of pushing ah. back against right now. And the senator, you see, uh, Jason Rapert, who fought to put the Ten Commandments up at the Arkansas yeah. State Capitol, he's done everything he can to release identifying information about me publicly to the point where we did his depositions, where our lawyers went in, asked him his questions, put him on record. And I was going to be at those depositions. And he decided to advertise on social media the time and the place that this was going to happen and that I was going to be there. So it seems clear to me that uh, that the senator in Arkansas is, uh, is uh, I would say it's not too going too far to say he's uh, indirectly threatening my life.
0: Right. Especially because uh, of the area that you're in, the Bible Belt and all that, or that, that it's taking place in. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah.
1: And there was some kind of neo-Nazi group that was openly calling for people to do whatever they could to to stop us. Uh, you know, they would stop just short of issuing actual uh, proclamations that they were going to come kill us, but they were making it clear that, right. uh, that 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 this was their that these were their feelings. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I'm I'm certain that that the senator knows exactly what he's what he's doing, but that's the. That's the world we're living in now where senators yeah. exhibit that kind of behavior.
0: Man, uh, like in, in the documentary, and I really hope that anyone listening to this watches it who hasn't, because it's really, you can't make up these people. Like uh, like Senator Rapert, like, <laughs> you know, if you got an actor to play him, I don't think he could do any better of a job of just oozing that, like, uh, Pastoral. i know I've,
1: i yeah that kind of smug uh self assured kind of thoughtless faith driven uh yeah. theocratic behavior you're Bright right practice you can't be satirized right no. and, and they, and they they got some great footage in the documentary where i could see people saying you know is this real like uh, if you invented this character of raper and you invented the the Hale satan story and had actors play it i think people would say oh come on
0: that's a little heavy handed the
1: top because I, I talk to people all the time who don't even realize the yeah. the state of affairs within the united states with the right. Theocrats. they think it's they think i'm acting hysterical still when i say there's a concentrated effort and install a theocracy in the united states
2: yeah you see characters
1: like Rapert on camera for this documentary his eyes rolling back in his head palms up to heaven saying we yeah. are what we believe in defense yeah. of putting the the ten commandments monument. on no we pocket.
0: are what we do shithead <laughs> yeah. No.
2: like
1: yeah, yeah but it, people have to start taking politicians seriously when they say they have these superstitious beliefs i think we've been indoctrinated you know even non-believers from the beginning of their lives to feel that there's some kind of uh etiquette stigma against holding somebody's religious beliefs against them no matter how uh how deranged they are or, or how uh superstition driven they may be yeah and uh to the point where we just accept politicians saying they hold these Really bizarre, irrational beliefs, yeah. and hold this kind of prohibition against uh, against calling those into question at all, and I think we're seeing the ultimate outcome of that now well um,
0: and, oh sorry, go ahead.
1: No, no, I, I was just going to say, including in Australia, where the Prime minister has uh, done so so little to address about two thirds of the goddamn uh, island on fire at this point but he's been pushing to uh to uh preserve the religious liberty of those who want to discriminate against gay couples i mean
0: yeah it 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 doesn't get stupider yeah like it what i notice is that politicians and i'm i'm like i i just have the hardest time drumming up any enthusiasm for any politician ever but they become a they become a uh a totem or like it the animus or the spirit of of their what they perceive to be their the public you know and and they they see the power behind you know like the political power behind the um religious right, and they they become like you know the, I would be interested to see people like Rapert when they were young and all that, you know because I feel like they become these monsters like you know, these monsters like a megazord of of all of the uh you know, beliefs of the people that they think will will give them power and and, and they end up fighting for things that are just, yeah, like you say, just uh, they're distractions from the the yeah, work well, of humanity. I mean
1: look at Trump. I, I think there's very few who actually think he's some kind of true believer in any Spiritual or religious sense, yeah. But at the point where, uh, copping to those beliefs or or uh, feigning those beliefs uh, brings back so much, yeah. In power gain, yeah, it's a uh, it, it's it's a dysfunctional spiral for sure.
0: Yeah, and I, and like uh, to be honest, I'm I'm from the Christian tradition i'm still somewhat involved myself like i still i mean i i pray i i um I, I i read the bible but when trump got elected and i saw people treating him as a believer i thought well the the a believer means nothing anymore you know it, it, it's an it's an absolutely meaningless term if someone as as unkind as him, I mean, on just a personal level, can be called that, you know, like, and it's, well, it's well, just, watch.
1: Just, just watch. Next next time there's a Democrat in office, and he or she does something like uh, uh, has a, uses the wrong turn of phrase, it's a man who fails to wear a tie at some point or whatever. You were going to see those same people who were saying Trump was the chosen one also saying that they have never seen such an undignified presence in the Oval
2: Office. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's the blindness, um the blindness of of this kind of thing. Um yeah, and one thing that another thing that comes through in the documentary is just how uh committed to sort of uh ethics and process the satanic temple was. In comparison with those who, you know, like there's never a good reason given why uh, another monument couldn't be on the ground. I mean, there's never a legal reason given or, or, or anything like that, which is the only thing they could really appeal to. Yeah, it's funny. Um, when we first started, we weren't going to seek tax
1: exempt status because we thought the, the better fight was to fight against tax exemption for religious organizations. Because, I mean, let's, let's face it, these. Churches anymore are not the uh, kind of communal centers that they used to be within, you know, the, the town square. They're, they're right. businesses of their own. They're buying up prime real estate. They're running huge multi-million dollar enterprises and it's all tax free. So we thought, you know, we leap by example and be the religious organization that didn't accept tax exemption. But what we didn't expect were was that we would have these arguments when we would take things into litigation, saying, "Well, you're not a legitimate religion, so therefore, you don't have any, uh-huh. any say in this matter," it, which is just bizarre. Because uh, you know, we we asked to, we we've got uh, two trials going into uh, uh, going to we've got two trials pending now. One in Scottsdale, where we asked to give an invocation before a city council meeting. And then, of course, we have Arkansas, and it seems like uh, both of them are going to argue that we're not real religions. And that's strange to me because we wouldn't have to be for our claims to even have legitimacy. I don't even see how that's an argument. Uh, We didn't have to be a religion to offer to give an invocation in Scottsdale. Uh, A religious argument. Right, right. And even in uh, and even in Arkansas, they were claiming that the Ten Commandments monument isn't a religious monument to begin with. So I don't know where they're getting the idea that now they can impose the standard that one needs to be a legitimate religion. It seems backwards. But yeah. they're even making these arguments now, even after the point where we decided that since these arguments were being made against us, we would seek our IRS tax-exempt status. And... The thing that really pushed us over the edge for that was when Trump announced he was going to gut the Johnson Amendment, and the Johnson Amendment is what keeps uh, what keeps religious groups that have tax exempt status from engaging in politics. They're not supposed to engage in politics, and they they get their tax exempt status. Well, you know, without the Johnson Amendment, uh, the tax exempt status was nothing but a uh, a hindrance to us. It was nothing but a disadvantage we had been put at. And also, of course, I thought that would prevent anybody from trying to take the argument all the way to trial that we're not a legitimate religion. But it seems like that's the only argument they can come up with, uh, whether it has anything to do with the question at hand or not. That's uh, the card they're going to play both in Scottsdale and in Arkansas. So, uh, I mean, beyond that, um, I don't know how they... I, I, I haven't seen any other way in which they can legitimately argue their case. We haven't seen it yet.
0: Mm. Have Have you, I'm just curious, have you had much um, either vocal or private um, affirmation from, from any, from any Christian groups or people saying, Hey, look, uh, we see the legitimacy of what you're doing. Any encouragement of that kind? Oh yeah. In fact, um in the Hail
1: Satan film, uh, you know, you see that the, the rally in Arkansas where we brought the Baphomet monument on the grounds just for the day for that rally. Right. Like the climax of the, of the film. And yeah. I give a speech up at this podium. But what you don't see is that there's speakers before me. I was kind of like the headlining act. I, I walked up there last, but other members of the Satanic Temple came to speak. But there were also a couple of Christian ministers from Arkansas,
2: which was really
1: a risk for them, you know, like. Um, I was at risk for getting shot that very day, you know. Yeah. And there was a lot of chatter towards that end, and a lot, a lot of reason to believe that somebody was going to make some kind of effort to do me harm that day. But at least I don't live there, you know. Right. And there were in some, uh, some of the there were a couple of Christian ministers that came to speak, uh, and they knew, they knew the Baphomet was going to be there. They knew. I mean, this wasn't misrepresented to them. They, they, they knew the issue and they understood yeah. its importance. And they understood that what the satanic temple was doing wasn't just trying to force Satanism into the public, public square. It was preserving pluralism and it was preserving government viewpoint neutrality. We're saying the government doesn't have the right to tell you which religious point of view to take. It doesn't have the right to preference one religion over another. And I think, you know, Christians who are secure in their, their faith and don't find people with other beliefs to be a a, uh, a clear and present danger to them yeah. they don't have any problem with that right. and that's something that uh, that guys like Raper don't want you to know you know Raper has right. been uh, very keen to put out this message that you know this is Satanists attacking Christian values or that these are people outside of Arkansas attacking the state of Arkansas um, but he's he's a He's a sinister little liar. And um, the fact of the matter is, is, his Ten Commandments effort didn't originate in Arkansas either. He refused to answer these questions when we put him under deposition, but it's clearly a part of Project Blitz. Project Blitz is a nationwide effort to install theocracy in the United States. It involves the Congressional Prayer Caucus and other organizations that put together model legislation, like the legislation that called for the Ten Commandments Monument to be on the grounds in Arkansas. It was almost the exact same wording in Oklahoma. And in each of these states where these things come up, they act like these are homegrown grassroots efforts within their home state. And the fact of the matter is that that is not at all accurate. People like Raypert are just mindless little tools for a larger theocratic effort that people should pay attention to.
0: Yeah. Oh wow! Okay, so I didn't know about Project Blitz. It's- yeah.
1: Project Blitz is responsible for all the efforts now to put in God we trust in all the public schools. Um, Project Blitz was also responsible for legislation that uh, it, a lot of a lot of anti-abortion legislation. Mm-hmm. The legislation in Ohio that uh, that proclaimed that students. Uh, couldn't be marked wrong for giving a wrong answer so long as that wrong answer was in in line with their religious beliefs. And what was funny is the lead sponsor of that bill denied knowing anything about Project Blitz or having any connection to the Congressional Prayer Caucus, and The Guardian found out that he was, in fact, co-chair of the Ohio uh, Prayer Caucus. So uh, apparently there's a code of silence, like I said. Uh, Raper would not speak to the uh, uh, to the revision history of the Ten Commandments bill in Arkansas. He claimed legislative immunity from having to answer any such questions under deposition, which was uh, which was something that was flabbergasting to Whoa. all the lawyers in the room. But that that's uh, uh, apparently uh, probably so invoked. Even it doubted doesn't doesn't like to be spoken of.
0: Yeah, so he invoked that verbally, like you said, legislative what?
1: Yeah, he, 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 uh, he invoked some kind of legislative immunity from having to answer these questions. And uh, there were lawyers from the ACLU, the Freedom from Religion Foundation, and the Satanic Temple there. And I was looking around to these lawyers, and they were saying they, they had never heard of this kind of immunity being used in this way, that it's a very limited type of immunity that huh. had to do with, Internal workings of some kind of legislation or whatever, um, yeah. and even Raypert's own lawyers didn't seem sold on the idea. And I guess you know, uh, there's probably going to be, there's probably been objections filed to the fact that he wouldn't answer basic questions. But but there we are. Here it is, a public official passing legislation in the public's name, and then refusing to answer questions about where that legislation came from.
0: Wow. Well, the first rule of prayer caucus is you don't talk about prayer caucus, I guess. Yeah, that seems to be the case.
1: And uh, Project Blitz is is something that uh, was kind of outed by uh, political research associates and local to me in the Cambridge area. And since then, Guardian has done a lot to write about it, and other people have kind of followed up. But their whole playbook has been uh, has been revealed publicly. Um, and they talk about these efforts to install monuments, to install on in God we trust. And these are always kind of like first step efforts. I think when we started doing what we were doing, I thought we, we really grasped the problem as, as we still see it now. And people are starting to wake up to it. We never thought this was merely some kind of hilarious thing. And, and, uh, and a, well, why can't we type thing, but that right. there was a more serious issue going on here. Right. And, uh, I think you see that in the Hail Satan film, when you see people saying that we don't have a right to speak in the public forum, because on dollar bills, it says, in God, we trust. And there were more people than just the guy you see in the clip holding up the money. And we we deal with this every time we we do anything. People say that this is evidence, that the dollar bill says, in God, we trust on it. That
2: means
1: that we are a Christian nation. and There's an exclusive Christian privilege when it comes to the public square.
2: Yeah. And
1: in, and in thereby you kind of see the, the utility in these monuments to them. Yeah, I mean it. It doesn't stop with that. You know, the Ten Commandments monument being on the public ground next means that we're a Christian nation. Therefore, you know, we don't respect gay marriage. Yeah. We we you know we 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 allow discrimination in religion's name as long as it's the right religion. Uh, once you start giving exclusive access public monies or the public square to one type of tribal affiliation, you certainly aren't uh, you aren't even putting on a facade of pluralism anymore. Right. And it's a very dangerous route to go down.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, agreed. Uh, one of the things I just want to you know, go back to something you said a minute ago, how the um, the Baphomet statue and all wasn't uh, just a hilarious joke. Like You're not a bunch of high school pranksters uh, wanting to sort of vandalize the state grounds and uh, and and i that comes through that i definitely believe you when you say that but i also appreciated like there is a little bit of a trickster energy to what's going on with with um with you guys and it's very hard to put into words because you're not being dishonest it kind of brings up this it kind of brings up this uh uh, this type of uh, I guess a trickster energy is the only thing I can think of to call it right now which I've noticed having come up in Christianity it's just like it's not present in in Christianity it's like it, it's sort of like the I mean the secrecy of something like the prayer um, caucus or whatever it was called um, the, the secrecy of that it's it's kind of shadow side or maybe it's even the shadow side of what you guys are doing, which is being public about your, um, like being particularly public about about your uh, pranks and tricks. and Right,
1: right. Well, I mean, the, the great thing about Satanism is it kind of holds up a mirror, you know? And it shows that kind of backward mirror image and everything's been turned backward now to the point mm. where people say, we're these inauthentic liars. Because of the fact that we're open about yeah. what we do and don't believe, right? Right? We're 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 willing to say we don't believe in you know the supernatural, but this is meaningful to us on, right. on a metaphorical kind right. of iconic level. And you know, it's it's amazing that every day we deal with people saying, "Well, so you're just admitting that you're you're full of shit." And it's like, if we were full of shit, wouldn't we claim that we were? You know that we were true believers like right. at, at what point does this like upfront straightforward honesty uh become to be recognized as yeah. such? I wrote a whole a whole piece about this uh that I tried to kind of convey these ideas as artfully as yeah. I could and i can i uh I compared us to the stage magician as as opposed to kind of the uh cult mystical guru who will learn like. Right. One crappy stage trick and try to convince people that it's real, you know, like the fake faith healers and things like that, as opposed to the honest magician on the stage doing sleight of hand and letting people know that it's all artifice, you know. Right. And it's like the audience, I feel, is is enriched in the in the other case, you know, in the case of the magician on the stage when they know it's all illusion, it, it helps them perhaps maybe think more critically about things. Yeah. You know, they can still enjoy that uh, that fascination, that 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 uh, that love for the unknown. But they know there's a, a way they could know it. You know, there's right. that exists in the material world. Yeah, uh, people have come to love the lie so much that they they have a backward uh, perception of of what's
2: what's right. true and
1: what is not. And it's, I mean, that kind of inversion was never. More clear now, I don't think, when you see the the corruption and depravity of some of the evangelical theocrats and what they're doing, to the mm-hmm. point that I do think you know more Christians, even if uh, even if the Satanic temple will never be something they would join yeah they have a better understanding of what it means to us they they yeah. at least have a better understanding of what it isn't right they yeah. they know that we're not uh, we're not criminal antisocial yeah. killers uh venerating evil you yeah. know this this idea well, of the opposition against tyrannical theocratic authority yeah. makes sense when that authority is actually. Uh, present and, and actively engaged and that's that's the situation we're in now and that's why mm. the satanic temple has grown right. is in recent times so so extremely
0: yeah and let me throw out something because I think it's I think it's even a little deeper um, that, that the the show the choice of Satan as your symbol is a little deeper even than um, than what you're saying now to me uh, you, you choosing um, Satan as as the focal point is actually, and please correct me, I'm not speaking for you, I'm throwing an idea out, um, is actually an acceptance that you and all of us are a part of this, of the same story. So in other words, instead of coming up with a god that you made up, instead of like a, a more legit flying spaghetti monster, you took you are using the actual kind of antagonist from what has become the uh the the narrative of the United States the the narrative well, of that, the west that's, that's that's
1: the outcome but the process of getting there isn't one in which we kind of sat around we were like well, what kind of character or icon can we use for this right that never happened because for you know, and of course I don't speak to all people who even identify with us, but in my case, it wasn't like, well, you know, we got Satan, we got these other characters, which, which one do we take? Right. Like the Satan was just all it could be for us because that's kind of the, the archetype and the kind of cultural artistic raw material we have that spoke to all these things. And of course, you know, Satan means something completely different to uh, to some of the, You know some of the Christians who, who who feel that uh, what we're doing is completely wrong, or some of the people write,
2: right,
1: some of the Catholics who write articles about us. But maybe hopefully they can even see that there's more than one way of looking at things. But this notion of the adversary and and that adversary being embodied in Satan really was kind of programmed into us and indoctrinated into us in a way that we couldn't have just we couldn't have just arbitrarily chosen yeah. another character. And that's one thing that is the most difficult for people to understand. Uh, if, if there's one, been one kind of continuous criticism I've had to push back against, it's, it's that, that idea of yeah. why couldn't you choose something else? The idea that if you're non-theistic, then the, the characters, the, the metaphors, they're all arbitrary. Right? Not at all. You know, not 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 in the least. But otherwise, and, I think you know the characterization you have of the, yeah. the ultimate outcome from that is correct.
0: Yeah, and it could be that my my choice of the because I I had in mind exactly what you're also articulating. Not that it was a choice like you you had a you had a, a meeting. It's like you it, it's the no brainer. It's it's the no brainer thing in a way, and it, and it does imply that you and and these christians are part of the same story that you're not space aliens coming in like uh, that that satan is a part of our collective story and it's just that um that you're you're choosing that kind of um uh that free thinking uh, consciousness that satan seems to represent in in the bible and like even even in my i, I we did this interview quicker than I thought we would. Uh, so I didn't have as much time to, uh, to kind of research as, as, uh, as I would have liked to get things fresh in my mind. But I looked up Satan, uh, the Satan stories in the Bible. And when you look at them from a different perspective, uh, actually the Bible is is amazingly um, non-judgmental of Satan in a weird way. Like Satan says his, Satan says his peace and he's got his, you know, like even, especially in the story of Adam and Eve, um, satan satan if satan's not doing god's will in the story of adam and eve then that is a weird story you know what i mean right like,
1: well i mean there's also the argument that satan's never explicitly named as the serpent and that that oh, kind okay. of interpretation comes afterwards but right i mean if you look at the the book of job he seems to be kind of palling around with god you and go. playing his game alongside god yeah. at the time so I forget what the death toll is but people often like to throw out the death toll of uh, how many how many people satan was said to have killed in the bible as opposed to god and of course you know oh it's because there's a there's a big disparity there
0: yeah (laughs) yeah i i and like uh i'm not actually saying any of this because like i'm not a satanist and and i'm not specifically encouraging anybody to be a satanist or not be a satanist but that, but I, I definitely when you read the bible from a different lens uh you know cuz i've always been uh, been told all these these stories uh and and satan is the is the boogeyman and and you never really you never really think about it and so i know you guys aren't saying that that satan is a real um is a real being but um i do i do like the lens that it throws on kind of consciousness and unconsciousness um yeah
1: i mean back to that whole issue of people asking why did you have to choose satan like there's this this idea also that you know it's just outright offensive for people to take what is the icon of ultimate evil to some and and choose to uh to to hold it up as as this icon of nobility and i would almost be sympathetic to that if I thought for a moment that that mindset, that that belief in an ultimate evil that needs to be prosecuted at all times, Satan and his servants in earth was ever productive. And it's always been something that's caused so much harm. Right. right? And and I think that obviously the better point of view, uh, the more productive, uh, uh, less, uh, Less confrontational and uh, and destructive point of view is one which accepts that you know people can view these things in different ways. I I can accept Christians thinking you know we we've gotten the story wrong somehow, or that the better story at least is the one uh, in which which Jesus is the savior and Satan is the villain. But right. to at least accept that there's a different way of looking at it, you know, right. Uh, from a kind of literary analysis at the very least. Absolutely. And I think, uh, I think if people understand that invoking the name Satan uh, doesn't automatically carry with it right. uh, homicide and criminality and everything else, canon and all those types of accusations, yeah. I mean, we're in a better place than if we insist that it does.
0: Yeah. Well, it's hugely dangerous... It's hugely dangerous to imply that evil will always have an obvious face like and that yeah, it won't yeah. and that it won't be from me it'll be from somebody else right right well that, that gets
1: us back to how mystifying it is in current times right now to see you know Trump venerated as as like uh, God's answer to the United States uh, it, it, it does it still still amazes me even after all this time yeah. What people will accept so long as there's a there's a cross tacked to it it's just so long as it waves the flag in front of it uh, you know and, and plants yeah. a cross in its ground that uh, that people assume that it it's on the right side of every issue, and that's that's really uh it's really become more and more disheartening
0: Yeah, this or that thing can't be evil um because it it has the right you know. It has the right pin on its coat or it has the right look or it says the right passwords or something like
1: that yeah yeah exactly and that's you know that's a that's a road to ruin yeah
0: oh absolutely and and uh, like something that the the documentary uh does a a pretty good job of is the, the people who seem uh and i know there's probably some narrative you know choice of exactly which clips and everything but the, the people like the newscasters and everyone who is opposing you in it they seem to all represent this kind of shiny dead-eyed um uh pastel colored um like g- sort of subset of human beings who's giving off every possible visual cue of non-evil you know like uh, and yet i think for people like yourself and increasingly other people myself included it's becoming the look the look and feel of evil now. Do you know what I mean? Like the look and feel uh, of evil. Like, you know, I was, uh, this is a slight aside. I was uh, unloading and loading gear one time outside of a venue and there was a goth club right next door. And I remember someone I was with who was older was just terrified of these goths and wanted to stand there and, and guard the car so that nothing got stolen. And I realized at that time that like, without even thinking about it i i in, just innately trusted these these goths more than like if there had been a, uh, some dudes in in baseball hats standing there um you know uh with you know with muscle shirts on in the winter um i would have been ter- i would have been scared of those guys and it was like it's it's sort of it sort of brings up the idea that the even the aesthetics the percept the perceived aesthetics of evil are making a, a full switch how do you how do you feel about that concept?
1: No, I think you're right. I was speaking at a uh, at a law school like a year ago, something like that. and uh, it, it was it was at one of the higher end universities, a uh, respected law school and And I was one of the speakers and the day before they had, had somebody from the Obama administration speaking or whatever. so it was it was kind of a big deal uh, venue for me to speak at. And I remembered uh, watching people come in before I was speaking. I was standing outside and there was like a glass hallway and I was looking at the people coming in below and the organizer came out and was just like bullshitting with me. And all of a sudden we saw a whole pack of people in like black leather coats with spikes and like tattoos on their faces and stuff were coming. And he started saying, oh man, I this is this is terrible i should i should have never put this on social media because it was like a free event or whatever i was telling him like look these are this is not the crowd that's going to shoot me the crowd that's going to shoot me is going to be wearing a a cardigan and khakis or something yeah (laughs) yeah like these people are fine they're 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 on they're on my side they're going to be respectful but
0: right yeah but you're right
1: i mean uh, i mean the crowd that were carrying guns in arkansas when we were over there it was completely like the baseball cap and and khaki crowd.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting, and and it's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was kind of um, the idea of monsters because I, I've had kind of a twofold feeling um, about sort of danger, the idea of danger and monsters and stuff like that. Because I've got a couple kids, and there's a show about monsters like that they've watched, a little animated show where it's all of the monsters all of the monsters from monster history like uh frankenstein and the mummy and all that but they're little kids they're adorable they got the big heads and the big eyes and they're going to school they're all going to like preschool together or elementary school together and there was something in me that was kind of offended by that offended by taking the danger away from all these monsters like some some little part of me actually wanted to be like okay when my kid sees Frankenstein, I want him to be scared of of it. You know what I mean. And so yeah. I, I'm wondering what like this is maybe too vague, but wondering what your your thoughts are because, um, in a way, you're surrounded by monsters. I mean, you have you have a you have a Baphomet behind you, and and uh, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful by using the word monster, but how do you feel about danger and fear, in symbols? um based on no, what i'm saying I, I think when when people start
1: demonstering these these uh, these you know humanoid grotesqueries or or whatever it, it's some kind of indication that people are gravitating more towards the outside you know they they've gotten disgusted with the the, the kind of uh, mainstream culture that they're in and and they're more accepting perhaps of of other point of views, and they they could take any good or bad with that. But we saw that, of course, with vampires too. At some point, vampires became like these sexy, sexy godlike characters, yeah, yeah. Rather than something to be uh, uh, right. to want to run away from, they became something to want to be, you know. Yeah. To to a certain um, certain number of people, but I'm sure there's there's I, I feel confident that there's something to the psychology of that, you know, that something of yeah. uh, you know some kind of veneration for the outsider and in nonconformity, some kind of uh, uh, hopefully new empathy for what was previously considered freakish, you know, yeah. the, but, the kind of respect for the anomalies.
0: But do you ever, and, and that I get that, uh, do you ever worry slightly about, uh, like, I guess what I'm asking is, is fear in any way a part of, of what you're doing? Like, I know you're not trying to incite fear of of actual beings, but then there's also, I mean, I've, I, I'm probably not going out on a limb to say that the average uh, member of the Satanic Temple has had a, a relationship to fear in their lives where um, like myself, I'm not a Satanic Temple member, but I've sought out the darkest, bleakest um, movies and, and imagery at times, um, specifically because it, you know, as you become numb, uh, to, to things in life, fear has that ability to kind of kick you, kick you out of it, out of numbness or something like that. Do you ever worry about, um, any of these image images, losing, losing their power to titillate with fear?
1: Not, I don't worry about the supernatural images, uh, losing their, their power to, uh, to to frighten people um i think you know I, I what i would just worry about is people going too far to justify uh counterproductive or antisocial behavior mm. um because they're trying to embrace some kind of outsider denigrated character right. i mean i remember like there was a really real true crime craze Throughout the 90s and in the early 2000s, and uh, it, it got to the point where it seemed like people were really glorifying serial killers, completely forgetting that there okay. were victims behind them. You know, like, uh, and, and I was always really irritated by a certain counterculture segments' veneration of Charles Manson. Right. I, I and, and I understood where it came from that's i didn't i but i didn't i didn't think any of it was right right like uh yeah people take a take the leap where they go from this isn't presented as uh in the same way that it actually is in reality to all of a sudden justifying it in in its entirety and that's Mm -hmm. what happened with charles manson manson was being kind of promoted by the media as this uh as this horrific uh as this horrific man with uh hypnotic control over people and they could not but do his bidding, you know, he was this hmm. cult master and all that kind of thing. When really he was just, you know, from what I could see and what I think of Manson as just being a a, a stumbling idiot, you know, with a bunch of deranged and, and moronic ideas. And uh he would he was kind of like he he was kind of like the Deepak Chopra of his day. He would just say <laughs> things that were paradoxical or nonsensical, and people would ascribe this great meaning to them. Right. People went from, you know, just realizing that he wasn't what they were saying he was, to then pretending that he hadn't done anything wrong, which was right. which was nonsense. He was a guy who carved a swastika into his head and try in had a murder had a yeah. pregnant woman murdered so that he could start some kind of race war in which he would uh elevate himself somehow yeah. uh, it, the man was an absolute the man was a fool yeah. um it, and that that's that's what I worry about when people kind of take that turn from from uh seeing beyond the veil only so far as to then take it way too far in another direction
0: right so then yeah so uh, if if I had the feeling that you were the type of person who was looking to use fear to incite fear in the in the public in a real way or to incite violence of any kind, I mean, I would just have no interest in talking to you. But uh so I, I definitely in asking about fear, I'm not uh not implying any of that stuff. I just think you know, No,
2: actually
1: the the Bafferment Monument is is fascinating in that regard because you know, I was working with the guy who was sculpting it, mm-hmm. and he kept coming back with these versions of the head. And you, uh, he, he, his initial impulse was to give it a very stern kind of evil expression. You know, the furrowed eyes right. and everything. And I kept telling him, no, 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 soften the features. I want the features to be neutral. You know, this isn't this isn't evil. This is this is yeah. just what it is, right? right. And and I, I didn't want people's like. Uh, emotional reaction to Baphomet to be driven by that kind of notion of what its uh, emotional features were trying to imply right you know and i felt like it was very successful in the end you know yeah. the features are very neutral you know it just uh and and it looks i think uh it has that look of benevolence and understanding yeah and uh it's just funny to see what people make of it you know yeah. it de- it really depends on what kind of baggage they bring to it and it's it's right. it's, it's, it's gratifying to see in that way to see people come up and say this is a beautiful work of art this yeah. uh, you know signifies something very lovely and other people look at it and say this is a horrific monster and i can't believe you would yeah. ever think for a moment that anybody would want this on the public grounds and it's right. uh, it's just amazing to hear what different people see yeah through a different set of eyes but with different kind of mental filters bringing it to them
0: well there's a lot of psychology and philosophy that imagery brings brings to the surface and turns it into behavior turns it into emotion uh that can really only happen through a symbol uh you know through some kind of symbology um and so yeah, I mean I, I that that's really cool to hear. Has anybody had like a, a an extremely emotional kind of spiritual reaction to the Baphomet statue? Like it breaking down or but. Well,
1: I I've seen uh, you know this is another thing that, that some people won't won't understand, but we actually do have rituals and, and ritual events, but they're you know, there's still non-theistic, there's no supernatural component to them, we don't believe that we're summoning spirits or anything like that. Yeah, They're cathartic experiences, they're, you know, a a lot of activities that kind of use applied psychology. Uh, One of the people I work with, Shiva, is putting out a book of these kinds of rituals and talking about their kind of psychological value that people, they have for people and things like that. Um, She authors a lot of this stuff, and and I don't, you know, I I like to see these things kind of emerge from the the chapter structure and and the people who identify with us. Mm -hmm. But um, Shiva does these things, these destruction rituals, and uh, a component of that is where people kind of write down something they want to be rid of in their life, or they bring a small object of something that, you know, they're purging themselves or whatever it's lit on fire and then dumped into some kind of, uh, uh, vase or whatever with wine something like that. And during those things, which sometimes take place at the Baphomet monument, you know, you'll see very, uh, very emotional reactions from people. Right. So, um, it's, you know, uh, I think it just goes to show that, you know, non-theistic religion isn't a, isn't type a uh, type of oxymoronical term. Like right. you really see, you yeah. know, if you spend time in any of our chapters, or if you spend time in, in here in Salem with the activities of the satanic temple, this really operates in the way a religion operates for people. Right. It's a religion of the people who follow it. And I don't know what more yeah. What more one could need.
0: Yeah. Well, and the spirit, I mean, uh, spiritual can mean the human spirit, you know, like the the maybe unacknowledged parts of ourselves or the subconscious and all of that as well. Um, so, yeah, I was curious, though, did, are there members, I mean, I'm assuming you don't, the seven tenets that you have, they don't preclude, they don't preclude that somebody might have a spiritual belief or an occult um an actual belief am i right in thinking that like it's it's no, like-
1: you're, you're right and in fact i i've explained this uh you know I, this often comes up in q and a's also where people will say you know i want to identify with the satanic temple but i have you know a specific set of yeah. uh, beliefs that can't be you know proven or whatever and i always tell them that the uh the position against supernaturalism and against uh or you know that uh precludes theism is organizational it's not necessarily individual right i think you know uh superstitious beliefs theistic beliefs they're not uh they're they're only problematic necessarily if, if they're counterproductive to the person who holds them of course right but if that person trying to impose something that can't be proven you know something that's an item of faith right to others, and as an organization, right. it would run kind of contrary to our anti-autocratic philosophy. Right. To take anything that we don't have any any real-world evidence for, and dictate that people must believe in that. Right. So it's it's an organizational viewpoint. If if somebody is in a is in a chapter or is in a member or whatever, and they they privately. I mean, they don't have to remain silent about it necessarily, right. but they they just can't insist that anybody else believe as they do. Right.
0: I guess that's something that I've thought about quite a bit because um, you know, as I like, as my Christian faith has been like, just <laughs> just t- totally pulled inside out and, and shoved all around by life and, in general, uh, is that we've lost. A, I mean, a lot of religions uh, have lost the um, the subjective. Um, nature have lost sight of the subjective nature of their beliefs in other words um, the the fact that somebody's experience of God or somebody's experience of talking to the dead or somebody's experience is is for them their experience is theirs it's for them and and so like some of these things where people are debating the ex, you know with a scientist and a Christian debating the existence of God as though they're talking about uh, two objective phenomena, uh, like I, 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 think that's that that just d- doesn't sit well with me. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, you know,
1: I, I don't like to. I certainly won't talk shit on the atheist community because you know the, uh, we've gotten a lot of interest. So I speak at atheist conferences a lot of times and things like that. But the the discussions to me, I I have to admit, uh, they're just they're just boring and tedious after a yeah. time there's only so much I can, I can talk about, you know, why I believe in one thing and don't believe in another or, or whatever else. Um, yeah. I, I really don't, really don't care.
2: Yeah. What,
1: what people believe. Um, I I think it's counterproductive of course, if they choose to believe something that's provably false, you know, yeah. something that really runs contrary to what, we do know based on credible evidence that kind of thing but if they're kind of filling in the unknowns the gaps with what they feel it must be and they realize that that's what they're doing you know at least they're flexible to it like well who really cares and insofar as you know theistic religions congregating and that kind of thing who cares right like my concern is when they're Bringing it into the public square, trying to gain exclusive privilege. Right. You have politicians pandering to tribalism over pluralism. Uh, then you have real serious problems.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's and that's what that's what's happening when we when we try to uh, put a, a coat of makeup over the United States and you know and the West uh, a Christian coat of makeup. We put you know it doesn't make the face underneath it, you know, reflect the the face of god it doesn't put anything deeper into you know it just gussies over the you know the the cesspool i mean a a, a divided nation that that uh, i mean it's not i'm not describing america as only a cesspool but like i'm just saying that putting a christian face on it doesn't take away any of the well evangelical
1: nationalism has become a real kind of cesspool of religion and yeah. I I have to think. You know, well, we did see the uh, the controversy with Christianity today, um, coming out against Trump, and it's a real popular evangelical magazine that kind of came out from left field, and then uh, Trump accused the magazine of being some kind of uh, extreme liberal publication, which was laughable. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, before then, before there was those indications at all, I was just thinking how bizarre it was that there weren't at least some evangelicals really concerned that this, you know, even though they might feel they have power now with him being in there, that they, they stand to lose all credibility for having given up, it seems everything they claim to stand for just to have that power in the white house, you know, just to abdicate all their, Moral norms, which you know they premise their whole foundation upon, uh, yeah. has now been kind of thrown out the window, uh, just so they can have this kind of direct uh, view in the policy. I, I feel like that's a, you know, and, and they really seem to be coming out ahead. But I still think that the gamble is just too much. You know, yeah. I, 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 I really don't think the Satanic Temple would be would be uh, such a thing if right. it weren't for that irresponsibility on the other side. I mean they they've driven so many people away, you yeah. know and a percentage of them come to us, you know, and find a new sense of community. And right. you see that even in the documentary, you know, we have a guy, Mason who's famous for wearing his bow tie and the-
2: oh, yeah.
0: Oops. Oh, shoot, Hang on. You're frozen
2: uh hmm oh okay uh, back.
0: i've got you back and we're still recording sorry mason with the bow tie
1: yeah he he was an evangelical and he felt alienated by the the path that evangelicals were taking and and you know he's not he's not a rare story yeah you know
2: yeah no when when all
1: is said and done this this might be the the ruination of of uh the evangelical identification
0: uh yeah you know i i um i definitely hope it's the uh i definitely hope it's the end of this seemingly unified evangelical voice because you yeah you're you're talking about i, I mean i i know i probably know more people who identify as christian who don't like Donald Trump then the other way around it's just uh, somehow there there's not a system or a um you know there's not a pipeline for them to 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 be a part of that voice necessarily like it's kind of that yeah i mean they're, they're not militant they're not organized and i hope that kind of changes in the future like personally i i i feel like uh like i felt a real kinship with you and with your um with your purposes when i was watching that movie like not every single thing every single moment but the spirit of it uh the spirit of it was was life affirming and 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 so i really do hope that that more people especially in 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 the form of a vote uh, will um will show themselves to, to not believe that that donald trump is uh speaking for or representing christianity or christian Christian morals in any way like and uh, and and actually make that known in the near future
1: no I hope so too and kind of back to that question of if I'm concerned of taking away the fear from certain monsters that that people have traditionally held on to I feel like the situation is that if in the in future generations you know uh satanic temples are saying they want to put up a a, a monument next to some christian memorial or whatever else that the prevalent response from reasonable people would just be like that's the satanists they're just another damn religion like why not you know (laughs)
2: like
1: the knee-jerk reaction would be like well who are you to say they can't if the other guys are like you know right i I would hope that like in the future that would be the mainstream response uh even from publicly engaged christians yeah understand what religious freedom actually means
0: right yeah and and you know like if uh if you guys get your baphomet up i would hope that uh uh you know maybe a a a buddhist community would you know would be like oh you know that's kind of interesting maybe we have a chance i mean uh, first of all i kind of think it is weird to have uh religious symbols on these legislative grounds to begin with but if it If it's a thing you know I, I hope that other people take advantage of it as well and get some get some ideas out there you know get some some symbolism out there and i don't know it feels like a weird time it feels like a weird time for our nation where our symbol our, our symbolism is um increasingly either co-opted or meaningless you know, and uh the Baphomet obviously still has some power as a symbol, but um yeah i'm just i'm just curious how other symbols will what other symbols might might come up or what other kind of i don't know it's a it's a really weird kind of feels like a turning point this is not a question i'm just i'm just literally processing what we're talking about you're
1: you're right but it's it's another thing that kind of speaks to the kamikaze course that the evangelical nationalists are on now with the blandensburg cross ruling which was a recent supreme court ruling that we knew would go in favor of putting this uh of keeping this large cross on this, these public grounds, they they used the same kind of argument that was used in Austin to keep a Ten Commandments monument up. Whereas uh, they were saying that there was no evidence of religious discrimination, which was really kind of bizarre because they they kind of put like the the hurdle to be like there need to be like affirmative evidence of the intention. Of just uh, of keeping other religions out or having an exclusive viewpoint put on the public grounds, rather than just acknowledging that that was the outcome by doing this, you know right. it was yeah. silly, but you know, but they were also saying, well, it was already there for over forty years, so now it's a historical landmark, and it's one of those things where it was like, within God, we trust on the money. It's ceremonial and patriotic. And yet, at what point uh, do they have to start becoming concerned about having dechristianized? christian symbols you're actually right. claiming now that a cross on the public grounds has nothing to do with christianity or that the yeah ten that's messed up. Monument, yeah or that the ten commandments monument has no no real sacred value but secular value at what point uh, do believers get pissed and say yeah. you know it's not good for the government to say that this is something of theirs that this is secular right but this is something that's meaningful and sacred to us like right. I, I, I just it's It's kind of troubling to me that more people don't don't understand it in that right. way that they're yeah. not really that the only <laughs> person really gaining from these things are the uh are the politicians that know that it panders to a certain group right. of people but it, in the long run you know they they've they've neutered their symbols yeah and they they've they've changed their meaning they've disempowered yeah. themselves in a certain way
0: in oh, their absolutely. search for power that's a very that's a very um observant that's yeah that's a very insightful thing to say um i'll tell you what it feels like to me with um the way that the the west is with christianity and with religion in general i i had always felt like I, i fight two different i fight two different temptations one is to think we're ready to transcend uh religion and the other is that how could we possibly transcend religion like you know you don't transcend something if you're not all if you you don't understand it fully realize it you and you choose to transcend it but then but then the image came to my mind the other day that we're actually more like uh a um we're more like an agrarian tribe so if we make it into a a very um sort of uh pre-technology situation we're more like an agrarian tribe that has been living off of a certain crop and the over time, the soil and the conditions, the weather, everything, uh, the predators, all of this stuff has has changed, and our crops are dying, and uh, we are faced with the decision of basically becoming nomadic, or, or like, and and that's how it feels like we're kind of squabbling because imagine the conversations in a in a village where they were like, look, we've got to stop living in these huts that we've built and we've got to start moving to where these you know herds of caribou are or whatever imagine like how people would resist that and how some people who it was their natural tendency they might they might say great yeah let's do that fuck these houses you know like but like that's that's kind of how it feels like it's it's this kind of to me it's this kind of transcendence that's necessitated just by the fact that the well is the well of the way this that religion has been done the well of the way that We've been thinking, and the basis of our thinking is kind of drying up, and the and the um, the soil is changing its salinity level or whatever. Does that resonate with you at all?
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean we are at a cultural crossroads, and I mm-hmm. feel like uh, you know we'll, we'll never know fully what our place is, in it. But I think the way people approach the question of Satanism now is already so different. From when we started where Mm. I think more and more people are realizing that there's a potentially respectable point of view attached to this and I think we can't possibly know necessarily all of what that does to the rest of culture but I like to think it's deeply profound and when I see even the subtle things uh, the subtle missteps of the evangelical nationalists i i uh i can't say i lament what i think they're destroying, but i think they're uh they're they're so they're so blind by immediate greed
2: yeah and, and
1: that's so apparent that uh that they're they're destroying any chance for people to even possibly see them as what they want to
2: be seen as right.
0: yeah. Big difference between me and you is I I do lament it. You know I I uh, just on a personal level it, it's very um, it's very saddening to have um, the thing because I really think that my my Christian faith I mean it's been the bedrock of my life it's been it's been the consistent story and um, and even as I become a, an independent thinker this is not a this is not a sales pitch for Christianity but even as I become an independent thinker, even as I warm to people like yourself um, and and look for, and I'm, even as I look for wisdom and care anywhere where it lives, I still feel, I still feel like some of that framework was provided to me by, uh, you know, in these lessons that I learned as a child. So yeah, I mean, uh, I, I totally understand why if, you don't I mean, lament it may it.
1: sound odd, but I can, I can totally, I can totally feel that. Like if I, I know, if I felt that, you know, if I had been in some kind of Christian community, I don't think I could ever have grown up to be a believer, but right. I could see myself in circumstances where, you know, I really enjoyed a certain community I was in and the good works that they did and everything. And, uh, you know, if they were doing good things that I would still agree today were good things. Yeah. Um, and, and I saw what's going on today, I would feel like, I would feel like that entire background, that entire community was being directly shit upon, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and everything it had built up, everything it was trying to convey, everything it was trying to bring into the world was being called into question now by some greedy, irresponsible people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is how it feels. And honestly, like, uh, uh people are looking for wisdom and care, for other human beings wherever it can be found and i've seen that i I've seen that in what you're doing um, and, and and so yeah i i I'm really glad to to get a chance to talk to you um i i want people to watch the documentary. I want people to think critically. Um, I want people to oppose the people you're opposing. And uh, and so, um, yeah, I, I just want, I think we're at an hour and 20 minutes here, so I don't want to maximize your time, but uh, I, I appreciate your generosity of spirit uh, and I appreciate, uh, yeah, you you're just having this conversation with me today. Great,
1: thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Check in with me anytime.
0: Thank you very much. Is there anything else like that this brought up that you want to say before it's all over? Or?
1: Nah, no, just keep a lookout on our we've always got things going on. So if mm-hmm. people are interested in the updates, just keep a lookout for us on our website, the satanic dot com and check out our social media. But uh yeah, we're we're never we're we're never short of uh new activities to uh to observe and, and uh and possibly participate in. I mean we have uh, either an active chapter or nascent friends of group chapter and each of the 50 states right now. So, so
0: oh, wow. keep a look at it. What, yeah. what is the total number? Do you know?
1: Of chapters and friends of groups? Yeah. Uh, well over 50 because we have international presences yeah. too. So yeah,
0: I don't, I don't even know. We have so, one here in Edmonton. Well, anyway, absolutely. thanks, Lucian Greaves. This has been a great chat. And I'm assuming based on what you're saying, you're okay with me putting this up? I always offer people the chance for me not to not to put this on the internet.
1: Oh, no, no, yeah, go ahead.
0: Okay. Uh, well, thanks very much, and, and uh, I hope you have a great uh, rest of your day. It was great to meet you.
1: Great. It was great meeting you. Thank you. Thanks, Lucian.